Hey, well, it's um, so good to have you all here. It really is. It uh, brings a lot of joy uh, to my heart um, that there really are people out there who, um, who haven't given up on God, who are, who are still interested in knowing um, how God speaks and what he has to say to us. And, and so thank you for being here. Um, yeah, there's, gonna be a, there's a little bit of sex today. Just we're, we're reading the Bible, and so whenever there's Bible, there's always some sex or violence, one or the other, sometimes both. Today it's mostly sex. Um, Old Testament, anyway. <laughs> it cleans up a little bit in the New Testament. But Old Testament, we've been in a, a series, a fresh look at the old book, where we've been uh, looking at, at different um, stories, characters uh, from the Old Testament, where even if you're not uh, a church person, even if you're not somebody who's, who um, identifies as a Christian, you um, still may have heard of a lot of these people uh, and heard of some of these stories, uh, because they're, they're pretty famous, even in, the, in an increasingly post-Christian culture. If you've been in church for a long time and you, and you know uh, the Bible really well, well the, the idea is to surprise you a little bit and to see if maybe um, there's things that are going on in Scripture that maybe are a little bit you know, shocking and, and maybe to see the way that God speaks in a different way. Uh, and I hope that that happens today. We have been uh, talking about Abraham. Uh, for those of you who are familiar, he's uh, sort of like the first of the Hebrew people, the, the, the father of the Jewish nation. Um, in the last couple of weeks, we found out that, that he has been tasked by God with saving the world. He's this, um, he's this incredible figure who, uh, who through him, God is going to fix all the stuff that's wrong with the world. Um, we, we skipped over, he's a super hospitable guy. We talked about that. He likes to throw a party for people. Um, we skipped over a, a, a bit where he's shown to be very merciful. He's always looking out to see if people can be helped or saved. Uh, today, today Abraham's not going to be as um, as awesome as we might hope, and and this is why we can't have nice things. Uh, this is this is Genesis twenty. While we're when we're reading, I'm actually going to break it up into two parts because I don't want to spoil the end for you because I think it's 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 so wild. Um, but but before we do that, I would like you to think, uh, have this question: Why does God? have so many silly rules? Why does God have so many silly rules? If, uh, for people who are not, you know, not church people, the assumption is that God has a whole bunch of rules for making people's lives miserable. Uh, the assumption is that God's uh, got all these things in place, and so what Christians are doing is they're running around scared all the time that they're going to break a rule. Um, and and that, that these rules are designed to make people miserable. Like it, God is sort of a sadist, and He really enjoys seeing people suffer, and so that's His that's His jam. Uh, if you've been in church for a while, you're the sort of person who knows. That, oh well, God had those rules in the Old Testament. We call it the Law, the Torah. Um, he had a whole set of rules. But good news, Jesus came. We don't have to pay attention to those rules anymore. That's the old covenant. We're in the new covenant. And, and all those silly rules, we just dust them off. We throw them away. If you don't believe me that some of the rules do sound a little silly, one of them is that you are not to boil a kid in its mother's milk. That is, that is a rule in the Old Testament. That sounds a little silly to us. So if you have a baby goat, you can't boil it in mother's milk. Weird. Uh, there are some that are a little more intense. Uh, you might have heard um, that you shall not suffer a witch to live. Uh, there's a, a part where it talks about um, slaying witches and the Puritans in, in North America. It took that very seriously, and people died. 
Um, there are, there's just lots of, it just gets crazy. Some of the stuff make, seems to make sense, some of it doesn't. But why does God do this? What's the goal? What's the point? And I hope that no matter who you are, you'll see it in maybe a little bit of a different way today as we journey through the text. So let's take a look at it. Abraham traveled from there toward the land of the arid southern plain. And he settled as an alien or a traveler, a foreigner, in Gerar, between Kadesh and Shur. Abraham said of his wife, Sarah, she's my sister. So the local king, Abimelech of Gerar, took her into his household. But God appeared to Abimelech that night in a dream and said to him, you're as good as dead because of this woman you have taken. She's married. Now, Abimelech hadn't gone near her, and he said, Lord, will you really put an innocent nation to death? Didn't Abraham say to me, she's my sister, and didn't she, even she, say, he's my brother? My intentions were pure. I acted innocently when I did this. God said to him in the dream, I know that your intentions were pure when you did this. In fact, I kept you from sinning against me. That's why I didn't allow you to touch her. Now return the man's wife. This guy, Abraham, he's a prophet. He will pray for you so you may live. But if you don't return her, know that you and everyone with you will die. It's a bad day for Abimelech. <laughs> Rough. Abimelech got up early in the morning and summoned all of his servants. When he told them everything that had happened, the men were terrified. Then Abimelech summoned Abraham and said to him, What have you done to, it, to us? What sin did I commit against you that you have brought this terrible sin to me and my kingdom by doing to me something that just isn't done? Abimelech said to Abraham, What were you thinking when you did this thing? That, this is the guy who's going who's to save the world, Abraham. He's literally sending his wife to other men to protect himself. What a hero. I want to give a little bit of background. I don't think Abraham is as, I mean, I think it's a scummy thing to do, but I want to give a little bit of an explanation for why he's doing what he's doing. So if we take a look back at the text, um, one of the first things you notice is that uh, Abraham and his, his household, you'll remember that he's got hundreds of people, probably thousands of sheep and lambs and goats and cattle and all that, and, and they're, they're living now as an alien in Gerar, uh, uh, part of the arid southern plain in Palestine. Um, because of Abraham's job, you know, he's a, he tends to, to flocks, he can't stay in one place. So he's always on the move, because after a while, the animals will eat all of the vegetation. It's a desert area, and so he has to move on. At this point, he's wandered into uh, the area called Gerar, which, um, if you're familiar with the scriptures, is where the Philistines live. The Philistines um, are in... in by the time that, that Israel becomes a nation, the Philistines are bad guys. They're enemies. Um... In fact, when we look at uh, Abimelech's name, King Abimelech, uh, Melech there is the Hebrew for king, uh, and Melech was also a god in the ancient world that was a sort of a rival god to Yahweh. And so if you're hearing this story, you recognize that Abraham is in hostile territory, and he's meeting up with a king who's named after an enemy of Yahweh, enemy of God. And so it sounds like he's in a dangerous place. And so what he does, he, uh, he, says, he says of his wife, she's my sister. And what does the king of Bimelech do? He takes her into his household. Uh, what does that mean? It means he doesn't probably marry her, but he takes her on as a kind of a, a concubine or a consort. Why? 
Well, in the ancient world, um, you don't know the people who are arriving near land. If you're Abimelech and you see this guy coming with hundreds of people and lots and lots of, of animals, you might be a little nervous. What's he doing here? Is he here to, to mess with us? I mean, I don't know. And so you go out and meet with him, and Abraham's like, I'll tell you what, buddy. I'm going uh, to give you my sister. What do you think? Now, we're told that, um, and well, we're not told, but Sarah, it, it seems, is very comely, a very good-looking lady. Uh, and so presumably she, uh, Abimelech's like into that. But that's not really the only thing that's going on, right? What's really going on is Abraham's like, hey, you're going to have my sister. Maybe you'll have kids with her, maybe you won't. But look, the last thing I'm going to do is cross you because if I did, you'd probably hurt her. So she's basically a hostage, right? He's using his sister as a hostage uh, so that Abimelech knows he's not out to make trouble. If he were, there's no way he would put Sarah into Abimelech's uh, care. And, and so the idea is that as long as, as Abraham's around, we can trust him not to wreck things, not to blow things up. Um, it's a sad fact, but it's a true fact that in the ancient world, and really in many, um, uh, many more prim- uh, primal cultures, women are uh, typically, well, they're not, uh, it's not, it's not romance. It's not like the Disney ending. That's not what marriage is, is about. It's not what sex is about. It's t- typically about um, making ties between, between people. And so the first thing to, to note is that what uh, Abimelech and Abraham are doing is they're entering into a kind of peace treaty. This is a protection, right? Abraham's a stranger. We don't know what he's about. So Abimelech takes his wife, I mean his sister, uh, thinks it's his sister, and then uh, that's, 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 that's going to be like a peace treaty. So going back to the text, what happens next? <laughs> Abimelech has a really bad night. Uh, God shows up to him, and he may not know that this is Yahweh. Uh, when he says uh, Lord up there, um, he's not using God's name. So he may think this is um, the God that he worships, Melech. He may know that it's Israel's God. Either way, he's like, uh-oh, what the heck is going on? Um, it's not my fault. Uh, I, look, my intentions were pure. I was just trying to make sure that my people would have peace, that Abraham's people would have peace. I'm just trying to, I, there's, they didn't do anything wrong. And God agrees. It's like, Abimelech, you are a stand-up dude. And, and in, a, in, a, in a freaky, kind of weird, sort of sick way, God then tells him, but guess what? Abraham is a prophet. If you give back his wife, he'll pray for you so that you might live. There's something so weird about God. God chooses people, and people that are incredibly flawed, like deeply, deeply flawed people. And when he decides to save the world through them, he does it. Uh, he doesn't demand that they become perfect. Um, he wants them to. Um, he wants them to be transformed, but he doesn't, he doesn't magically just overnight turn them into amazing people. When God calls Abraham a prophet, really what he's saying is, Abraham's the kind of guy where when he talks to me, I listen to him. And we, we skipped a, a, a story that, that talks about this, but it's true. When Abraham pleads with God, God listens. Why does God choose this guy? I don't know. He really obviously doesn't deserve it because of, you know, his, his life choices. And yet, that's the way it's going to be. What's Abimelech thinking, by the way? What is Abimelech thinking? Uh, so he finds out that Abraham's uh, sister is actually his wife. Um, 
he, <laughs> he honestly thinks that Abraham's trying to start a war with him, right? Uh, let's just imagine that you're Abimelech and you find out that this guy gave you his wife and assuming that you sleep with her, you have now slept with his wife. In the ancient world, that is really bad. And typically what someone would do is they would demand satisfaction. So it might be the way, what Abimelech's realizing. He's like, Abraham's tricked me into setting me up so that I'm going to have to have a war with him. Uh, keep, yeah, if we just keep going, I think we have more text here where he kind of brings that up. He's like, yeah, yeah, when he, when he confronts Abraham the next day, this terrible sin, this, this thing that simply is not done, uh, the ancient world knows of, of adultery as a great offense, even if you don't have laws. Like, everybody knows this is a really bad idea. Once you start getting into sexual stuff, once people start going a little bit crazy with sex, uh, what ends up happening is violence. Did you know that of all the women that were uh, murdered in the United States last year, some 30% were murdered by their spouse. Three in ten. We don't have, um, we don't have statistics for this, but we imagine that probably a lot of the men who were murdered last year were murdered by uh, someone who was mad at them for being in a relationship with someone they loved. When you combine things like human emotions, love, jealousy, um, and then you stop, you take all the, the rules away and you sort of drop the barriers and people start having uh, sex with each other in unconstrained ways, first there's hurt, then there's sadness, and eventually there's violence. Abimelech's really shocked because what he's thinking is he's thinking that Abraham's done like a ploy to get them into war. He's, he thinks Abraham's using his wife as a way to get him to step into conflict. And next thing you know, ancient people intuitively understood unconstrained sex leads to violence. So it's probably a really good thing that we're, um, you know, in this culture, loosening all the bonds on sex just to see what happens, see if people, you know, can really fulfill themselves. It's an interesting experiment. We'll see how it leads, see how it turns out. So what happens next? This is the part. Um, it's, just, it's weird. So Abraham explains himself. Okay, He explains himself. He says, I thought to myself, no one reveres God here, and they'll kill me to get my wife. But here's the deal. She really is my sister. My father's daughter, but not my mother's daughter. So uh, Abraham and Sarah share a dad, but they have different moms. And she's now my wife. When God led me away from my father's household, I said to her, this is the commitment I, this is, uh, that's my translation, commitment. This is the commitment I expect from you, the loyal love I expect from you. In each place we visit, you tell them he's my brother. Uh, just to start, start out there, I thought um, no one reveres God here and they'll kill me to get my wife. Abraham has some pretty strong suspicions. He turns out to be wrong. Abimelech's actually a good God-fearing guy. He's a decent man. But, uh, but Abraham assumes that he's not. Interestingly enough, this is, this is Genesis 20. This is the second time this has happened to Abraham. 
that we know about. We skipped it. It happened back in Genesis 12. But this is the second time that Abraham has sent his wife, who is his sister, uh, to sleep with a uh, local king in order to uh, make sure that there's like peace between Abraham's people and, and, and the local king's people. I don't know if you heard about. Did you you hear about this a couple days ago? There's this. Um, do I have the picture of uh, of Jay and yeah Jay and um, Jay and Lauren? Um, this couple, they're 29. They were 29 years old. They were on a uh, like a like a cycling tour. I think they started in South Africa and they were planning to kind of go north up through Africa into um, sort of Europe, then hang a right, go through the Middle East to Asia, and they were going to be on a cycling trip for an entire year. Uh, they were in a place called Tajikistan when um, they and three other uh, cyclists were attacked by ISIS and murdered on their, um, on their trip. They actually, in a lot of ways, look like Abraham. They live a life on the road. They'd, uh, they were from D.C. They'd gone to Georgetown. Uh, they had worked in nonprofits for a while, but you know they just wanted to see the world, I guess. And so they they went on this amazing trip. Uh, they have a, a very different sort of um, experience of life, though, from Abraham. Right? Abraham is walking around. He's assuming that everybody's out to get him, and so he's got this really weird sort of twisted plan to make sure that they don't. But he's under the assumption everybody's after him. These two, it's interesting. Uh, we ha- he 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 blogged about his trip all the way up until he died. And this is what he had to say about, about human beings. He said, you watch the news and you read the papers and you're led to believe that the world's a big, scary place. People, the narrative goes, are not to be trusted. I don't buy it. Evil is a make-believe concept we've invented to deal with the complexities of fellow humans holding values and beliefs and perspectives different than our own. Jay, Jay Austin um, and, and his longtime girlfriend, Lauren Gagahan, believed that there's no such thing as evil. People are basically good. The problem is, is that, that people just have different sets of values and different, different personalities. And so sometimes these come into conflict. But really, there's nothing. Everyone's basically a good person. And I guess one of the um, complexities of, of different values and beliefs is that um, the members of ISIS have a value and a belief that um, all infidels must be converted or killed. And so they uh, videotaped themselves. We don't say videotape anymore. They videoed themselves and posted to the internet murdering um, these, these people. See, uh, Jay and Lauren, they, they went through the world and they had this assumption about the world that the world is kind of a safe, great place. And if you get to know people, you'll like them. And for the most part, that worked out. Um, I, I feel like I've traveled a little bit. I feel like I've been around, um, I've lived in foreign countries, and I've done those types of things. And so I, I, when, I first, when I first heard about their story, the first thing I was like, dude, that radical Islam is not cool. The, uh, the, whole, the whole killing people is, we got to stop that. That's bad. But the second thing I thought, the second thing I thought was, Man, you really probably shouldn't be cycling in a country that ends with the S-T-A-N. Like, especially if you can't pronounce it. Like, if you cannot pronounce a country and ends in Stan, you may be, I mean, not guaranteed, but that's a, that's a red light right there. 
And what kind of person, what kind of person goes through life assuming that, um, that really if we could all just get to know our differences, then we'd be okay? How, how can I just say it, naive is that point of view? You know, I, I don't agree with what Abraham did. I don't agree with that at all. I mean, it, he really, not a, good, not a good call, Abraham. Wasn't there somebody else who could have, even then, like just the idea of just trading women, um, as, it's, it just doesn't sit right with me. But at least I understand where he's coming from. Abraham has the same assumption the Bible has that we should have if we've been following these stories, right? Abraham's assumption is that people are evil. That's the next thing in your note sheets. Doesn't mean that they're all out to get you. It just means that evil's a real thing, and that if you're not careful, and if you're out in the world, especially in places where people don't revere the real God, you really are in danger. There really is something out there that's not good, not wholesome, and it can get you. Doesn't mean what Abraham did was right. But at least he was aware of the way the world is in a way that, tragically, we are becoming less and less so. How does it end? (laughs) She is, truthfully, my sister. And now she's my wife. I mean, if you're, if you're a 21st century Western or Christian, I mean, at, at a certain point, you should like, have a little bit of a gag reflex here. Uh, they, they tried this amongst first cousins in Europe in the nobility, and people were dying um, when, when um, siblings and cousins and whatnot um, got married. We inherited, we've inherited now uh, thousands and thousands of years of what you might call like a Judeo-Christian culture, an idea where, where what, there's a lot of things that, that Jewish people and Christians kind of agree on. And, and, and one of them is that this is a, not a good way to run um, sex. This is bad. Imagine, too, notice, notice that uh, not only is, is Abraham married to his half-sister, He's also uh, the son of a father who was involved in polyamory, polygamy, right? His dad presumably had multiple wives, um, or at least many wives and concubines. And so uh, Abraham grew up with, with Sarah to some extent. And he's used to seeing uh, a, a very, very interesting way of approaching sexuality, right? Uh, we, it, we're a little familiar with it in, in, in our culture because uh, we've, we have some experience of polygamy and polyamory, especially in popular culture now, big love, some of these shows. But we, we know intuitively, and it's true, intuitively, man, you start to go down this road and, and sexuality becomes very quickly weird. It, it, sex doesn't, it's, it's, what kind of part of life is it where you're sharing with, there's multiple partners, then the, the wives, especially where there's one man and many women, the wives begin to compete with each other, um, and, and there's, there's jealousy and anger, um, to the point that it seems to Abraham, however he's been formed, it seems okay to him that he's ready to just pass off his sister, or his wife as his sister. Not only that, what he tells her at the very beginning of their journey is he says, the commitment that I expect from you 
And this um, in Hebrew is hesed, it's loyal love. The, the way I want you to express your loyal love for me is whenever we meet somebody, you pretend to be my sister and they'll take you. That's weird. Abraham uh, lives in a, a lawless world, a world uh, without rules, a world that's uh, ruled by power, a world where um, there's an intuitive understanding that sex is dangerous, but there's really no, there are no straight, there's no rules, there's no this is this, this, this. It's just kind of a free-for-all. And so he exists in a world um, that, honestly, from our perspective, the deviant is normal. Um, I think I have that in your note sheets. In lawless cultures, I didn't even say what Western, really what Christian culture takes to be deviant is normal. We don't even like to use the word deviant anymore. It's because it's pejorative, and we don't want to judge other people's sexual lives. I get that. That's uh, part of sort of being a contemporary American. I get that. Um, and yet, all of us, if we're honest, we, if we look deep inside and we start to think about um, the way that sex can go, we do start to be like, oh, that's not okay. That seems wrong. Everyone feels this. Um, there's nobody, nobody, nobody is out there and being like, all sex is great. Every person has at least some, their own kind of sense where, oh boy, that is not okay. Usually in America, we, we tend to think of cheating as not okay, right? Oh, if you're committed to somebody, you shouldn't, I mean, unless you have like a contract and it's an open relationship. We live in a weird culture. All right. The idea is, though, that in, in lawless cultures, what we think of as deviant is normal. Not to excuse Abraham, I don't want you to get that uh, idea, but I do want you to think that um, the world he lives in is just different than ours. Final result of all this, uh, King Abimelech looks at him, <laughs> he takes flocks, cattle, male servants, and female servants, gives them to Abraham, and basically uh, gives his wife back, and he's like, my land's here, do what you want with it, uh, live wherever you wish, but don't ever talk to me again. Like, really, I mean, it's like a, like, I don't know what I walked into here, but, but get out. You know, I wonder, um, we, we asked the question, you know, why, why does God have all these silly rules? It's funny. If you look at Leviticus 18, this is going to, it's later on in the scriptures. So right now in, in the scriptures, there are no rules. But later on, God gives rules to people, right? And in those rules, it literally has the same language where it says things like, do not have sex with your sister if, you know, you have the same father and different mothers. That's a bad idea. Don't do that. Like literally the life of Abraham, his sexual, don't do that. And there's other stuff. It's like, you know, don't have sex with your mother-in-law. Terrible choice. You're not, that's not going to go well for you. Oh, don't have sex with your kids. Like that's, that's in there. And sort of from our perspective, we look at that and we're like, does that really need to be said? The answer is yes. If you do not think that human beings will take complete absurd left turns when it comes to our sexual lives, you're not paying attention. And what, you're, and what we're really, especially in this culture, missing is that if you, if, you don't, if you don't put these rules in place, what's going to end up happening is people are going to kill each other. 
it's true um, that, uh, that we live in a covenant of grace and we don't have to follow every single rule of the Old Testament. But that's, that, that misses something about God's law. And th- this is the next thing you're going to The first purpose of God's law is to protect us from ourselves. We on our own will go crazy. And if you don't believe it, you're not paying attention. Just look around. Read the story. I mean, it's happening now. Now there's lots of stories now about uh, trying to normalize polyamorous relationships, you know, like two dads, three moms raising kids together, that kind of thing. Um, all together. There, there, it's, it's, it's crazy what, what, what ends up happening once you just sort of take the rules away. Human beings will just begin um, coming up with every possible way to, to, to live life, and eventually it's all going to be bad. It's really, we're going to send ourselves into a place of sadness and violence. And so if you're here today and you're like, yeah, I don't know about church. Um, those, those Christians, they're so uptight, man. They're so lame. Yeah, I get you. We are kind of uptight and lame about some stuff. It's true. I'm not going not gonna to deny it. But I want to suggest that there's a reason for it. Um, and, and the reason is that, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to... You guys like westerns? My favorite genre of film? I mean, they don't make any good ones anymore. I mean, occasionally. For the most part, they're terrible now. Um, but westerns used to be like the... They used to be like the, the ultimate sort of expression of kind of the American experience. There's this like this 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 place, right, where there's 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 the lawless part of, of the West, right? Where like it's un it's you know virgin country and you can do whatever, be whoever you want, you can follow your dreams, you can achieve your goals, unliving proof. You can do that all over there. And at the same time there's this encroaching movement of civilization as as you know as as more proper people start to move in and and, and, and settle the land. And there's always this this great um clash of of civilizations as it were where where the um where that which is, is lawless and and and, and, and unruly has to come to terms with that which is um, civil and settled. I want to suggest to you um, that our relationship to God's law is very similar to this. Okay? Where our relationship to God's law is very similar. So there are people here who have zero relationship to God's law. They're the Russell Crows. They're the ones having fun. Do we have Russell Crowe? Is he up there? Oh, yeah. We were on, uh, we were on like the, the Voodoo or Netflix or whatever, and that and you, 310 to Yuma flash by. Aaron's like, I love that movie. I'm like, we do have something in common. That's awesome. That movie is great. Um, Russell Crowe in the movie, he's, a, he's the stereotypical outlaw. He lives, um, he, he's, a, he's a thief and a robber and a gunslinger. Uh, he lives outside of all law, and yet he realizes, because his gang is so twisted and wacky, that there needs to be some law somewhere, and there's a part of his heart that says, man, I wish I, I, wish I, could, I could be one of them, and one of them being like one of the people in the city, one of the people who's settled. There are some people here, your relationship to God's law is something similar to this. You're, you don't think of yourself as very Christian, you're kind of outside the church, but you're aware. You're aware that there's value, that there's value in having a kind of, of, of system. And while you may be lawless, there's a part of you that says, I, I see, I, I know there's something there. I'm not sure what it is, but I'm curious. 
If you are curious and you're wondering what God's law is like and what it's about and how it changes us and you're kind of on the outside, you're, 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 you're lawless, come, talk to me and talk to us. Start to get to know us and get to know why we do what we do, especially about sex. Let's be honest. That's one of the weirdest things for American culture versus Christian culture right now is sex. I mean, to say nothing of, of, of the, the rapid normalization of same-sex intimacy in our culture, um, to now, uh, you know, polyamory and all kinds of, I know of at least one Harvard philosopher who thinks that um, sex with animals is great. So there you go. Uh, we're, that's, that's the culture, and here we are, and, and you might be like, I, I know there's something there, I'm not sure what it is. Come, talk to us about it. Talk to me about it. I love talking about this stuff. Gets me in trouble sometimes. So that, that might be you. You might be lawless. You might be outside looking in. Some of you, uh, I know, are, um, are school teachers, school moms. Have you seen When Calls the Heart on Hallmark Channel? Oh my, yeah, and there's not one man here who's seen it. I've been forced to watch several episodes. You're like, what? You're like, I, I'm, I'm kind of like, honey, yeah, that's not really how it was. I've got to be honest with you. Wait, uh, this is this is Elizabeth Thatcher. She's the school teacher in a little town in Canada. Um, I can't remember what they call it, but it's something ridiculous. Anyway, uh, she she is the embodiment of civilization. She's come in, and she is responsible, tasked with explaining to all the children as they grow up exactly what's right and wrong. She lives. She's very naive. Um, she's very uh, she's very prim and proper. It's all black and white. It's either this or that. And it's her job. She's holding uh, the forces of, of lawlessness and, and, and barbarianism at bay by bringing the light of civilization and law to the lives of children. Some of us, uh, as Christians, we, we, we get so uh, like caught up in, 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 in the rules of this, that, that, that we, we have a hard time recognizing, in a lot of cases, that things aren't actually as clean-cut as we would like to believe. And if you watch any episode of When Calls the Heart, you're like, it's not that simple, man. Life's complicated. Sex is complicated. The law is complicated. And when we have this kind of mentality of like, I know it all, I've got it all figured out, it's black and white, it's this or that. Man, I'll tell you, what ends up happening is people get hurt. And they get um, unfairly, a lot of times, excluded. Sometimes... It's true, they need to be slapped in the face and be like, no, you're crazy. But other times it's like, well, but there's mitigating circumstances and let's try to get to know each other. The school teacher has a hard time with that. Has a really hard time living with the tension of black and white um, sort of coexisting. If you're uh, a Christian here today and you love to point out where other people are wrong, please don't tell me what I'm doing wrong, okay? I know it'll hurt. Like, just leave me alone. Um, no, that's not what I'm... No, um, maybe you've bought into too much law. Maybe you haven't remembered that, yes, it's true. Ultimately, what God does is he releases Christians from the law into grace, into lives of freedom. There are boundaries that are supposed to be there, yes, but that's not the be-all, end-all. That's not the end of the, the story. The story is that we, we move into the glorious freedom of the children of God, Paul says. And if you're not living a life that's free, if you're not living a life that's gracious, if you're not living a life that's, that's understanding uh, of people, then you might be a little bit too much of a school teacher. 
Last but not least, um, the, uh, the farmers. This is uh, from 92, Clint Eastwood film, uh, Unforgiven. There's some people here who have a dark past. Um, and one of the things I've found is that people who have a dark past, who, who have been rescued from some pretty rough things, often are the people who are the most settled, uh, the most compassionate, um, the most mature. They still have a strong sense of, of, of rightness and wrongness, of blackness and whiteness, but they're, they're, they're also able to, to tolerate and to deal with the messiness of life. Um, while not a perfect example, I do think that there's some of that that exists in, in our, our myth of the, the, the farmers. You know, they're usually Civil War veterans, right? And they've, they've seen horrible things, and they've moved out west to have, like, a new life. They're trying a new way. It's sort of more God's way. And yet they're willing and able to understand that the world's not super perfect. It's not easy. It's not black and white. And, and we still have to, 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 to navigate um, what we know and believe about God with what real lives and real experiences. In a way, this is sort of the, the kind of the paradigm of what we're sort of seeking to become as we um, mature in our faith, where we live lives that are righteous and holy, but we're also able to be gracious and, and recognize the real way that the world is. We know the law, but we're not completely ruled by the law. I'm going to uh, pray for us right now and and when I do, I, I'm going to pray for those of you who are, um, who are lawless. You're not sure how you're related to God's law. You, you're like, eh. I'm going to pray that you uh, become interested, that you want to learn more about what God's law is like and why, and maybe how it might um, be a part of your life. I'm going to pray for some of you who are school teachers who are, uh, you know the law and you love to enforce the law, um, and sometimes you have some sharp edges that maybe need to get um, sanded down a little bit. And I'm going to pray that we all um, can become the sort of mature, um, righteous, and yet gracious uh, believers that God calls us to be. Gracious God and Father, thank you um, for telling uh, the story of Abraham and telling all of it, not just uh, the clean parts, not just the good parts, but God, also the messy uh, parts um, the hard-to-swallow parts, the weird parts. God, we thank you for giving rules. We thank you for, even when we don't understand them, how they can seem silly, God, we thank you that they're there, believing, trusting, that you've set them there to protect us from ourselves. God, I pray for anyone here who um, is a little bit outside the law, who, who's not quite sure um, what to make of your rules and the way that you want to do things. God, I just pray that you will um, prick their hearts with your spirit to, to show them that your law is really meant to, to be good for us, that the way you want us to live is really meant to give us joy and freedom. And I pray um, that you'll draw them into relationship with you, to know you and to be like you and to trust you. God, I pray for those of us who... Um, we, we, know, we know it's black and white. We know it's right and wrong. And, and sometimes, God, we wield it. I pray that um, you'll offer gentleness into our hearts, mercy, uh, that we'll be the kinds of people who aren't um, wielding it, who aren't um, oppressing others, 
uh, with what's right and wrong, but instead, uh, God, that we will uh, have, have grace for those um, who are outside. Lastly, God, I pray that we will all mature into the kinds of believers who, who love you and live in light of your revelation, your truth. Live in light of all of your scriptures and yet offer um, just manifold grace. Offer kindness, compassion, empathy to a really, really messed up world. Firm in our beliefs about what you set down as right and wrong and yet gracious and kind in the way that we interact with everyone. God, we thank you for Jesus who sets us free from the law, sets it in our hearts, and teaches us that ultimately it is love. In his name we pray. Amen.